Good morning, church. I've been battling with, with some issue with, with my throat this past week. Um, and so I ask that you pray for me this morning that the Lord will carry me through. I was having a hard time trying to swallow. Um, and so may the Lord uh, be kind this morning. Amen. Let us pray. Father, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Father, would you show us and give us new mercies this morning that we might truly see your faithfulness, your grace, and your mercy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Though I'm not one church who spends a lot of time watching TV series or movies, as many of you may enjoy today, when I do occasionally indulge in those things, one of my favorite things to watch, apart from sports, as I'm sure most of you can guess, is the wonderful genre of documentaries. That wasn't a joke. No. And though I love to watch documentaries, church, or even the more popular docu-series of today for all those who don't have the attention span to sit through the whole documentary, I always found myself a little perplexed about why I love documentaries. In other words, church, I found myself asking, what is it about a, a good documentary that captivates me? That was until recently when I realized that the reason why I love a good documentary is because I love watching people accomplish extraordinary things. I love watching people, church, who, who relentlessly pursue perfection and greatness, which is why for me, it doesn't matter what the, what the particular thing is that they are doing or are after, but it's, but it's more, church, about the, the drive and the, and the journey that I am enamored by. I love watching the attention to to detail and the constant grind to accomplish something great or, or to create, church, something of great beauty. This is why I love watching artists and, and writers, why I love watching guys like Jordan and Tiger, why I'm moved by the pursuit of guys like Kobe Bryant, church, because, because there is, there's just something about watching those who exemplify this sort of mamba mentality or the relentless determination to create something beautiful that I truly love. And one area of this genre that has recently caught my attention, church, is the world of cooking. <laughs> or documentaries about the ins and outs of the restaurant business. 
And though I enjoy the, the beautiful creations that these chefs uh, uh, make, I have to admit that, that originally, church, the, the drive of a chef seemed a bit confusing to me. The main reason why it was confusing is because I couldn't understand, church, why they would work so hard to create such great works of art that would last for roughly 15 to 20 minutes. Ten for me. I would watch them, church, work with, with such tenacity and passion to create these wonderful works of art only to quickly see them fade into glory. And so for me, that, that just did not make sense. That was until I heard one chef explain what it was that truly drove him. You see, I realized, church, that, that the goal was not just to make the perfect dish, but the perfect dish was part of creating the perfect experience, meaning he was not working, church, to create something that would fade, but he was working to create something that would be so memorable that, that it would be etched in the hearts and minds of those who experienced it for a lifetime. And as this great pearl was made evident to me by this chef, it became evident as well why I love Paul and his writings so much. For it is not only because I love Paul's doctrine, church, though I do, but it is, it is also because I am enamored by his, his relentless pursuit. I am moved by his tenacious mamba-like mentality that, that drives him, church, to work tirelessly to present the most beautiful work of art ever presented to man. That would lead to the greatest experience ever known to man. Church, one that would not just be memorable or, or etched in their minds, but one church that would, would change their hearts and the course of their lives forever. I love watching Paul work to reproduce the beauty of the gospel, praying that it would lead others to have this same experience that changed the trajectory of his life. And an experience, church, in which he encountered Jesus Christ himself as Jesus unveiled the intricate details of the gospel to him, unveiling all that Paul knew from the Old Testament and making it a whole new reality in a new way. It was as if God took Paul immediately from, from this black and white picture to the most immersive 4K experience that one could ever imagine. And I truly believe that it is that life-changing experience that led Paul to work harder than any other as he worked to take that experience to, to all of those who the Lord was calling him to. A calling church that led him to Galatia. And I believe that this is why Paul writes as he does to the Galatian church 
why he writes with such grief and disappointment, church, because he has an expectation that that would come from his gospel proclamation, an expectation that 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 they would have the same experience that he had that would change the trajectory of their lives forever. But instead of getting reports about how fruitful the Galatians have been, he receives reports about how these brothers and sisters are abandoning the very gospel that he proclaimed to them. He receives reports about how they are denying its truth and and abandoning its way. And so Paul writes to them, reminding them not only of the truth of his doctrine, church, but he also writes to them, reminding them of the evidence of it. As he reminds them of the truth about how they experienced it to where it became an ever-present reality for them, a reality and an experience that Paul appeals to in our scripture today as he continues to make a case for his truth, church, a case that he opened up last time as he began by sharing the truth about how one is justified or declared to be righteous, in which he showed how, how it could only come by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so now as he continues that argument, he moves to show not only how it is by faith that we are declared righteous, but, but it is also by faith that we are made righteous, church, and brought into the family of God. Paul does this, church, by laying out for us an understanding of how the promised inheritance of God is one that comes by faith and faith alone. And as he lays out this logic for us this morning, he wants, he wants these Galatian believers to know that, that placing their hope in any other understanding and following in any other way is just simply foolish as any other way, goes against not only Paul's gospel, church, but the whole of Scripture. Paul begins his argument in Galatians 3 and 1 as he truly wants to let these believers know of the great implications of abandoning this truth. As he lays out the implications of the promise an implication that he opens up with as he says to them in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Though many believe that this first sentence is just a matter of Paul sort of once again bringing all the smoke to these Galatian believers, I think that there is, there is something much greater that, that Paul is doing here with his language. Though he is expressing a great passion and frustration with these believers, I believe, church, that, that Paul is, is, is pointing them to a theme that we, we see throughout the Bible, an understanding that we see many times in wisdom literature as it is in wisdom literature, church, that we are given 
a metaphor of, of two paths or two ways. The first path that we normally see, church, is the path of righteousness, a path in which those who walk in it are called blessed. They are said to walk in the way of the Lord, and, and those who walk in it are said to prosper. The second path that we see, church, is, is the path of wickedness, a path in which those who walk in it are called foolish. They are said to walk in the ways of evil, and those who walk in this way are those who will perish. We see this very thing in scriptures like Proverbs 4, where we can see these two ways, beginning in verse 10, as it says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. In verse 18, he says, but the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. We also see this type of language, church, in scriptures like Psalm 1, where David talks about the blessed man and the wicked. We can see it in Psalm 14, as it says in verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Church, Paul, in appealing to these two ways, is warning them and us of the implications of being enticed by this way of the fool or being enticed by a way that denies God and his righteousness. And his warning to us and to the Galatian church this morning is much like Proverbs 4, as he is, he is, he is saying to these believers, I have taught you wisdom and I have led you in the path of uprightness. And he is calling for these believers to, to keep hold of the instructions that he has given them. He is calling for them and us this morning to not let it go. And he is saying to them, the way that you have been enticed to walk in, know that it is a way of evil and wickedness, and that if you continue to walk down that path, that it will only lead to a deep darkness in which you will perish. This is why Paul says to them, who has bewitched you? He is saying to them, who has enticed you to follow in this way of wickedness? Who has enticed you to follow in this way of the fool that denies what God is doing and what he has done? 
who has, a, who has caused you to abandon the way of righteousness that was, that was clearly laid out for you as you heard and received the instructions of God by the proclamation of his gospel. And he is calling for these Galatian believers, church, to not let this truth escape from their sight as he appeals to what they have seen. As he says, it was, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, church, he is reminding them of what they have seen. He is reminding them of what they saw and felt in their hearts as they experienced Christ's crucifixion. A reminder, church, that, that can be a bit confusing when you truly think about it. Because these Galatian believers have never seen Christ. They was not there when he was uh, uh, publicly crucified. They were not there to truly witness it. And so the question is, why would Paul appeal to, to what they have seen well, I believe that the answer is, church, that, that Paul truly believes that they, that they have seen Christ crucified. As he believes, church, that the, the gospel that was proclaimed and, and presented to them was presented with such clarity and power that it, it painted a picture so vivid to them of the gospel that it was as if the very Christ was crucified before them. A picture church, so beautiful and glorious that it, 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 it caused them to change the whole trajectory of their lives. This is what Paul is reminding them of this morning. He is reminding them not only of what they heard, but also what they, what they saw and experienced as the gospel captivated not only their ears, church, and their minds, but also their hearts and their souls. He's leading them to believe once again this gospel truth that they received as they saw its glory and, and received its grace, a glory and a grace that, that truly gripped their hearts as the cross became real to them and was apparent right before their eyes. Paul says, remember Remember that beauty that gripped your hearts before he shows them the foolishness that has gripped their minds. The foolishness that Paul dismantles as he moves to laying out the logic of what God has truly promised. A promise and a logic that begins with the promised son. The promised son, church of an offspring that has its roots in the garden in Genesis 3, as God promises an offspring that would deliver a death blow to the head of Satan. This promised church then becomes a reality in Genesis 12, as God calls Abram and promises that he will make Abram the father of a great nation, a nation which God says will be blessed. As he says in Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God then reaffirms this promise to Abraham in chapter 15, as he makes a covenant with Abraham, promising him an heir that would come from his lineage, church, an heir that would bring about this blessed nation, making them the inheritors of the promise. A great nation of people who will become the very people of God as he becomes theirs and and they become his. God makes clear that this is what he will do as Abraham's only responsibility church was to trust and believe that God would faithfully keep his word. This is why it says in chapter 15, verse 6, that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham church had had one job. (laughs) And that job was to truly trust the process. And this is what we see in his life through the book of Genesis. As we see him contributing to Uh, uh, continuing to believe God for this promise. Though Abraham was only able to see the promise in part, he was unable to see the whole of it carried out. And though the promise would come through Isaac church and Abraham would be the father of a great nation, Isaac, much like his father, would not see it fully fulfilled either. In fact, church, Let me tell you a secret. None in the Old Testament would truly see this fulfillment, this promise fulfilled. And though they would not truly see it, God did not leave them uh, without a, a glimpse or a picture of it. You see, the New Testament gives a picture through uh, the Old Testament prophets. One particularly is Ezekiel, as he says in Ezekiel 36 and verse 24. He says, I will take you from the nations. This is how God says he will bring about this promise, church. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unrighteousness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. Though they did not see the promise, Ezekiel, as he gives the vision of the promise, leaves them with visual markers that would become evident of God making this promise a true reality. As he says, number one, he he will take his chosen people from the nation's church, making them a people that are his. He says that he will sprinkle them clean with water, cleansing them from all unrighteousness. He will give them a new heart and place his spirit within them 
and he will cause them to walk in his ways and obey his statutes. This is what God is promising he will do. This is what he is promising that he will do for those who receive the promise that was given to Abraham, church. And follow me, I'm going somewhere. That is those who look to God, trusting and believing him for it. This is why Paul is reminding them this morning of the promise as they have truly seen the promised son. Though we don't know all that Paul said when he presented the gospel to them in Galatia, we do get a sort of snapshot of what that looked like. We get this snapshot, church, in Acts chapter 13 as Paul first makes his appeal in the synagogue. An appeal in which Paul, by the power of the Spirit, calls for those in Galatia to believe in God's promise. Not only does he call them to believe in the promise, but he also calls for them to believe that the promise has been fulfilled. And he shows how God faithfully, church, has brought the promised son through his promised people. As he has brought the Messiah through a lineage of those who have believed in it. Those who have placed their faith in the promise and God has counted it to them as righteousness. Those who have truly trusted the promise, a lineage that not only Paul lays or is laid out by Paul in Acts chapter 13, but a lineage that is also given to us, church, in Hebrews 10, in which the writer of Hebrews shows this great hall of faith. Those who, who God has uh, brought the promise to, those who have remained faithful to the promise. Not just those who are ethnic Israel church, but those who believe and trusted in the promise giver. People from all tribes and nations who believed in God as it was counted to them as righteousness. Both Paul and the Hebrew writer and much of the Old Testament says it was from those that the seed of the promise has come. A lineage church that begins with Abraham moves through David to bring us the one and only promised son and Messiah, Jesus, who is the Christ. Now, y'all not excited about that. But the way all of those intricate details have, have come together to bring about Jesus, who is the Christ, left me jumping out of my seat. And this is what Paul wants them to see this morning. I am sure that Paul told them about this Jesus, who is and was the one to come. The one who went on the cross on their behalf, church, shedding his blood for them that they might be declared clean from all righteousness as he washes them with his blood as if it was water. As we are told in John 1, 7 and 9, the same Jesus that has removed the heart of stone and has given them a heart of flesh, making them alive with him. 
that they might have a new heart which beats life into them as we are told in Ephesians 2 and 5. Jesus fulfills uh, every marker of the one who is said to come as he has called people out from every nation, tribe, and tongue to believe and see him crucified that they might be called to take this gospel to the world. And he is the one who promised to uh, uh, his disciples that he would send to them the promised Holy Spirit. We are told in John 14 and 15 that Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus Church, who is God's promised Son, sends us the promised Spirit. Jesus, who is God, uh, 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 who who called these men to believe. He, he, he promises to send them the Holy Spirit that, that was, was talked about in Ezekiel 36, the Spirit of God that Ezekiel says would cause all those who believe to walk in God's statues. The Spirit of God that would lead them to obey the rules and laws. As we are told that it is the Spirit who gives wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of God that Isaiah says will be poured out on those who receive the blessing. The same Spirit, church, that David asked the Lord for in Psalm 51, as he asked him to not take away the Spirit of God from him, as the Spirit is the very presence of God that brings about the joy of God as it is the Spirit of God who is the indwelling presence who restores the joy of our salvation, the same joy that James, uh, from who these men who are, are contesting Paul came from, the same James that tells us to, to, uh, uh, as we go through these trials, have this joy. Trials that James says in chapter 1, verse 3, is a testing that produces steadfastness. He says, have joy as you are going through trials that produces steadfastness. And he says that this steadfastness or faithfulness is is given to us that, that it might have its full effect and make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James also says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generally to all without reproach. And so, If it is the Spirit, as Ezekiel says, and David says, who gives wisdom and joy that we need to remain steadfast, and if we let steadfastness have its full effect that we might be made perfect and complete, then we can assume, church, that it is the Spirit of God that makes us perfect and complete. (laughs) Which is why I know you guys were waiting for me to get here, but I did all of that for a reason. Which is why Paul says in Galatians 2 and 2, let me ask you this, Galatian believers. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, Paul is reminding them of all that I just laid out for you because that's the very thing that he laid out to them when they believed. And he now is asking them, church, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it by your works or was it by faith? Paul continues to appeal to what they experienced to help them to see the flaw of the logic of these men that have come to them and told them that, that they need to produce these works to believe and to be part of the family of God. Paul says, how? How did you come to believe? How did you come to receive the Spirit it was only by faith in the gospel that they have received and experienced the works of the Spirit. An experience that Paul already pointed them to as he said that it was vivid and real to them as if they saw Christ crucified and then the Spirit was sent to them working inside of them, church, to help them to believe it. But not only to believe it, church, but causing them to, uh, un until now, remain steadfast in it as they face great persecution and suffering. He says it was also the spirit that, that came with that gospel and worked all types of miracles before you that we see in the book of Acts. All types of signs and wonders. Therefore, Paul says to them in verse 3, are you so foolish? <laughs> Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? When we were just shown how we are perfected by the Spirit, by James, who is the very one who these men have come from? Are you so foolish? <laughs> he says, did you suffer in vain? Because if, you, if, if it's by your works, then all of that suffering does not bring about any steadfastness that makes you complete. Did you suffer in vain? This he who supplied the spirit to you and worked all of these wonderful things, all of these miracles before you, does he do it <laughs> by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, are you so foolish? In other words, be warned of the path that you are walking down. Look at where these men are heading you to deny the very works of God. That Psalm 14 tells us it's the very way of the fool. In other words, Paul is simply saying, how was it that you experienced of any of those great things that you did, be reminded of the truth. Be reminded of how you saw the promised son and then received the promised spirit. And let that give you confidence that God has made you his promised people as he has showered you with his promised blessing and has made you heirs of his promised inheritance. Therefore, he says in verse 6, 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is saying to them and us, see the evidence of God's great grace this morning. Grace that didn't just come in the New Testament, but grace of a promise that was carried out all the way from the garden in Genesis 3 until now. Remember what you have seen and experienced. Remember how you have been washed and made alive with Christ. Remember how you have received the Spirit and saw Him working through you. And know that that is evidence of the truth of God's faithfulness, keeping His promise. Truth that says that those who believe are His blessed people, as it is they who are the righteous heirs to the kingdom inheritance. Paul is exhorting them to know this, believe it, and to walk in it. To live as the blessed nation of God as he has made you one from many (laughs) so that the world may see his great glory as he has brought a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue that they may enjoy his grace and ascribe to him great glory. Church, I wanted to lay all of that out so that I can give you the applications at the end. Because Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us this morning, know that this is who you are. He says, this is what you have been called to. Therefore, let us be reminded this morning of the implications of the promise that we might remember and understand the gravity of what was at stake when he called you from that path of darkness and brought you into his path of marvelous light. As God pulled us off of a path of destruction and made us righteous, he made us holy through his promised son. And so may we consider the promised son this morning that we might be reminded and captured by the awe of this very gospel. May we be enamored by its great glory and its beauty that we might continue knowing that we are his promised people and that we don't have to do any works to get his love, but that he has already showered us with it. And now we can just walk in it, believing and trusting him for the promise that we might be steadfast until we are made complete. May we see and feel 
the promised spirit working in our lives that we might know that we are his promised people. That we might know that we are those who are called to have the, the same mind, love, and spirit living as one family on one accord, displaying the revealed manifold wisdom of God to the world. A city on a hill, the salt of the earth. Know that this is you if you have believed. And that this is the life that you are called to live. And if you are amongst this family this morning, if you are amongst this blessed nation and you are not one who have received the promise today, I pray that you would be like David in Psalm 51. As he recognized his sinfulness and pleaded with God for mercy, Asking him that, that God would make him clean, giving him a new heart and an everlasting spirit that would never leave him. I pray that you would truly see Christ crucified before you this morning, that the gospel and the cross will be made vivid for you today. That your heart may be gripped in a way in which you will see your sinfulness and your need for this promise. Savior, that you would believe in him as he not only declares you to be righteous, but promises that he, he will place his spirit inside of you, that you will be made perfectly righteous as an heir who has the promise of the indwelling spirit, who is the very presence of God as we are told that it is in the presence where there is fullness of joy forever and ever and ever. I pray that God would truly do this for you this morning. Amen, church.